This week's episode of the Discerning Gamer podcast is brought to you by Chicken Tonight. Mom, can we have chicken tonight tomorrow? Chicken tonight. Welcome to the Discerning Gamer podcast. Your premium destination for all things gaming culture. We have the latest in gaming news, reviews of the hottest new games, discussion and analysis of the games of yesteryear. When you're short on time and need your gaming fix, look no further than the crew who know their master chief from their master sword. I love Halo. Your hosts, Joel, Simon, Casey and Ferg. So toss a coin to your Witcher and answer that call of duty. It's time to level up. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. Yes, spraying what we think is web fluid all over the inhabitants of New York City in the hopes of defeating a mustachioed man wearing leopard print jeggings. This is the Discerning Gamer Podcast. I am your host, Joel JB Fury Beauchene, and with us this week, as always, are the DG crew, starting with the PC gamer, the Sultan of Steam. Uh, pick up your impressively coloured sticks and slap on a blindfold so we can break him open in search of candy and toys. <laughs> it's Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. <laughs> Welcome to the show, Fergus. Oh, JB. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me. Oh, really good. Also with us, we have the gaming chef, the... Earl of Emotional Damage. Unsure whether it was his Nintendo 3DS or impressive male genitalia that attracted his now wife to him in the beginning, it's Simon <laughs> Steely McLaughlin. Welcome to the show, Steely. Thank you, JB. Um, my penis doesn't have two screens, so I think it was the 3DS. <laughs> well, um, But it does pop out to you in 3D if you do the right thing. Well, that's uh, frightening. <laughs> We don't want to uh, scare any children that uh, may be uh, listening to the podcast. If children are listening to this podcast, there is something severely wrong with their mothers and fathers. Indeed. Uh, finally, with us, we have the Nintendo Queen, Pistol Pisty Pete. The Pist. Yes. Now, in her mind, she's already on her way to Rogueport to defeat Grotus and the Exnauts. It's, of course, yes. none other than Casey C. Mac McLaughlin. <laughs> Welcome to the show. I love that. Look at, I've got all the sound bites tonight. Thank you, Joel. Glad oh, to be here. It's a pleasure. And, uh, well, it's been a pretty big week in news. We've had, of course, the launch of... Insomniac's uh, much-waited-for Spider-Man 2. But uh, don't hear it from me. We're going to throw straight over to none other than uh, Steely for this week's news headlines. Yeah! What's been happening in the national events, weather and sports and games? <laughs> Stop! Hear it now! <laughs> Um, <laughs> I just you know I just figured I just figured that na- national events, weather and sport doesn't really pertain to video games. No, no. Unless you where's the give fucking us the weather, weather and sport part of it? It should just be called knee. <laughs> it should it's national events and video games. Wait, so wait, here's wait, the video game knee. <laughs> anyway, fuck me. Uh, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? You're gonna need to get out the raid one shot pest spray. 
because the spider is double and will not sleep until it's the highest rated Insomniac game in almost 20 years. Yes, you heard me. Insomniac's Oh, nice web splat. Sound like dusty semen. Uh, you, you heard me. Fucking Insomniac Spider-Man 2 is sitting at a 91 on Metacritic, sharing wow. the banks with 2004's Ratchet and Clank 3, Up Your Arsenal, and 2000's Spyro, Year of the Dragon. Mm. Critics praising Sony especially for being the leader in single-player-driven stories, although we still have no further details on their highly anticipated Wolverine game. This certainly puts Insomniac in the spotlight, with Dev saying, I mean, seriously, at this point, I just want to go to fucking bed. So, get it, Insomniac? Insomniac. You son of a bitch. Hmm. Get it? I just want to go to bed. It's an insomniac joke. Did you get it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So hilarious. There was just because you know insomniacs don't go to bed, so it was an ins- it was an ins- you get it. It's an insomniac joke. Anyway, uh, fuck, stimulate this. Uh, no, sim- simulate this. Sorry, don't stimulate it. <laughs> simulate this. Fuck. Uh, a dev has planned to release its game that is full of performance issues and is currently out now, and it's cities. Skyline 2. The developer Paradox Interactive have been celebrating some great reviews for their newest city build simulator this week, but warns fans they aren't done yet on ironing out its performance issues. In a statement made by Paradox, they admitted they hadn't achieved the benchmark we targeted in the PC release for their new game. As much like the wider industry have decided to release it anyway and fix it later. It appears to run uh, it appears to run this game on your PC in its current state. You will have to be sporting more than just an impressive cock, but an impressive GPU, <laughs> CPU, and farts, PU uh, to experience what I could <laughs> Fart sound bite very quick. Yeah. <laughs> oh shit, that was good. Uh, I did that one for Ferg. I thought he would like farts. Pu. Anyway, to experience what I could only call a game I couldn't give two fucks about. So uh, there you go. Um, well, there you go. Uh, Paradox yeah, games. Fuck up everything at the moment. Anyway, um, so Lord of the Delays: Return to Mariah has been well. Delayed, uh, just four days away from launch. H- hang on, Steely. Piece- uh, uh, did you just say <laughs> return to Moriah? Moria? <laughs> like, like, yeah, Moria is probably a bit more correct. It's uh, uh, well, fuck. I'm not. I'm it's, not it's, a fucking J.R. Uh, Tolkien. No, I'm not sitting in my. It's not the you know, uh, all I want for Christmas is you, uh, famed uh, singer that gets wheeled out once a year these days. No, uh, that's Moriah. Ah, uh, yeah. Not Moriah. They'd be getting ready to defrost her, wouldn't they? Coming up soon. Oh, yeah, well, any, anything post-September, Who's I gone think. to Moria in the fucking first place? That's what I want yeah. to know. Anyway, um, so... Or rather... Uh, yeah, they've delayed, they've delayed this stupid game anyway. Um, who, who'd like to meet Moria uh, <laughs> Carey? <laughs> she sounds ethnic. Um, anyway, uh, despite its PC version going... Uh, going mithril not long ago. Uh, did I get that right, mithril? <laughs> yeah, yep. That uh, that checks out here. So uh, well done, Thanks. mate. But I'm not going to get attacked by the by the Tolkien's or the anyway Tolkienites. 
the Tolkien. Mm. Is that what you call them? Yeah, sure. Fucking who gives a shit, really? Um, Free Range Games, who developed the game, uh, this uh, uh, survival RPG, which is about yet another portion of the Lord of the Rings universe nobody asked for, is set to delay till December 5th for PlayStation players and early 2024 for Xbox. We reached out to Free Range Games for comment and they said... When you don't keep your staff in barns, it's really hard to keep an eye on where all their work is. Honestly, thinking of going back to putting them in cages and making them develop a sequel to our favourite game of last year, Gollum, instead. Um, well, if that... well, that's a free-range show. The free-range Lord of the Rings. Uh, show. That was pretty I good. Love it. Yeah, I, I enjoyed oh, that thanks. one. That well was... done. Oh, good, good. No, that's all right. Came <laughs> straight from the top of my dome. Um, well, it appears this week Nintendo does. Uh, <laughs> I'm on fire. Uh, as Super Mario Wonder soars to some dazzling heights, being Nintendo's fourth game rated over 90 this year alone, joining the podium with, uh, uh, with Metroid Prime Remaster, The Legend of Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, and Pikmin 4. The discussion amongst the industry is whether or not the 2D platform, and I'm back, uh, 2D platformers return to form could be a game of the year contender alongside Baldur's Gate 3 and Nintendo's very own Legend of Zelda. We here at the Discerning Gamer have played it, and I'm glad to report that it is wonderful. Wow. (laughs) It's really good. Mushroom Kingdom, here we come. Mm. <laughs> Fuck me. Well, uh, who let the dogs out? I don't know, but someone is letting their dog speed run a 1985 platformer called Gyromite at next year's Awesome Games Done Quick. The owner's very good boy, named Peanut Butter, is going to be assisting his owner, JSR, in a first for the AGDQ event. When we reached out to Peanut Butter for comment on his excitement of the, uh, the event, he said, Woof, woof. Pant, 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 lick some water, and then licked his own balls. So there you go. It's a very quick story. Um, fucking hell. Dogs speed running, hey? Anyway, um, last but not least, a patent for a new PS5 DualSense controller has surfaced this week, with Sony looking at some point to have developed a controller that could store and charge your Sony earbuds. If you can afford the $200 in-zone earbuds on top of your PS5 and your swanky new controller, PlayStation themselves even said to us, you have way too much disposable income. Having said that, there is no official word from PlayStation if this product will ever enter our markets as generally patents that release to public prior to any production or announcements are generally viewed as water under the proverbial product bridge. PlayStation Marketing did tell us, however, what they were thinking of calling the controller in an interview we did with them this week, saying, we were going to call this the dual household income to afford sense. Jim Ryan told us (laughs) we should have just ditched the dual sense form entirely and just called it money for jam instead. And that's your news headlines for this week. More gold is required. (laughs) Thank you very much for that, Steely. (laughs) National events! Nothing. Oh. <laughs> Yum. Well, it's uh, certainly a big week. There's uh, <clears throat> well, a fair bit of meat on that uh, that proverbial bone. Mm. Uh, 
now just to just to dig into uh, some of that uh, detail a little bit, City Skyline Two. So they've launched it with performance issues rather than delaying the game, and you know how many how many uh, developers can we think of off the top of our head that have done this uh, even just this year and paid the ultimate price. I mean, we've got Daedalic Entertainment with uh, Lord of the Rings Gollum mm. and the absolute shit show that that turned out to be. Uh, on top of that, we had uh, Arcane Studios with Redfall, which, uh, you know, was going to be one of the big saving titles launching on the Microsoft Xbox, of course, and turned out to be, uh, well... How would you describe it, Steely? Um, kind of like when you take a shit, but you're shitting into a portal where the portal opens up into your mouth. And <laughs> okay. then you shit through the portal and you eat it and you're not happy about it. That's what I've got to say about that. Yes, all right. That uh, that checks out <laughs> here. Um, uh, I mean, and then obviously if you, if you scratch the surface a bit further, you can go back, well... Even uh, even Naughty Dog, uh, a studio that we all hold in extremely high regard, had an absolute fuckfest of a time with their uh, launch of The Last of Us Part 1 remastered on PC, which uh, left users scratching their heads as there was uh, a, a multitude of game-breaking bugs that were going on there. It's, this this is literally just becoming the norm now. We're not, mm. not going to see... Uh, uh, a return to the the days of old, where uh, games would be released in full and and not completely broken. I mean, do we think game developers? Oh yeah, I, I've got to stop you there because you don't see this problem with Nintendo first party products. Um, that's excluding Pokemon. Pokemon is not a Nintendo first party product. It's owned and developed by a completely separate entity. Um, and even in an interview this week, Doug Bowser actually came out and said that um, devs at Nintendo do not get given crunch time limits. If they need to delay a game, he's like they get as much time as they need because we are known for our quality of products, and they are. I mean, th- there's people that are trying to break Tears of the Kingdom and they can't. And uh, <laughs> to me, it's just that that game is a technical marvel anyway to be performing on the Switch and to not be able to break it and find any kind of flaw in its makeup that ruins the game, I think is um, a show of what happens when a company's integrity is still intact rather than, you know, these smaller developers who are all developing for, and don't get me wrong, they are developing for multiple systems. And, I mean, Naughty Dog does not traditionally develop for PC, nor, you know, all of these other gaming companies. I mean, arguably City Skylines is is really at home on a PC. That's what they've planned for it to release on. Um, however, people saying that, you know, you basically need the highest-end PC to be able to get this thing to run properly is just a, a massive error. I, I don't know how you can allow a game to release when your target audience being people that play simulation games, which the best place to play them, according to C-Mac, um, Pistol, Pisty Pete, the pissed, is to play them on a PC. Mm. What, what's going on? Like, I just don't understand. <clears throat> well, it's a load of bullshit. All right, so further to that point then, um, because, because you're absolutely right, um, Nintendo 
to my knowledge, just they they release games that are virtually flawless. I, I can't I can't think of a single one off the top of my head right now uh, that was a Nintendo first party game that was fucked in some way. Um, mm. So what is it that Nintendo are doing right and everyone else is doing wrong? What do you think, Ferg? They're taking their time mm. is what they're doing. Okay, so <clears throat> explain this to me then. How did Bethesda take a game that was really ready for release 12 months ago and took an extra 12 months to polish the shit out of it to try and get rid of all the game-breaking bugs, still release Starfield in a state where people were able to be posting numerous videos and memes online about how broken and glitchy the game ended up being. Like, uh, explain well, it to me. Like, develop, developer integrity as well. I, I just, I think that we, we already saw the way that some, I don't know who ended up saying it at the end of it, but how Bethesda treat, um, I guess, the game-making process, that they're not really fussed with if the game is fucked. Uh, they just want to make it as big and as ambitious as possible and hope that people like the formula enough and are fanboys of the Bethesda formula enough for it to make sense. And to me, um, I think the integrity with Nintendo is that they want to release games that are in a polished state. That's what they're known for. But ever since I can remember, people have been telling me that they, you know, Bethesda games always have weird buggy glitches in them and they're just known for it now. And I just think that... Well, how much self-respect do you have that that's the way that you think that your games should just be brought out? Um, arguably, Starfield is a much more graphically f- sort of um, taxing game and the fidelity of that is going to be a lot more taxing and, and labour-intensive, I guess, to release. And, again, they're releasing it on two platforms, on a PC and on Xbox Series. So... I can understand to a degree because it is on two separate platforms why that task might be harder. But um, I think, you know, the game was not only announced maybe a couple of years too early, but they still probably could have put a couple of years into it. And you know what? It would have been a game of the year contender. It wouldn't have been this game where people are, you know, especially someone like Ferg, who, Ferg, I know that you're having such a great time with it, but you even mentioned that some parts of it are starting to sort of become a little bit grindy and you're starting to see some of the flaws in it, you know, and I don't know. I just, I think it's integrity. I think that's a big part of it. Give people time, have respect in your own work, and you'll release good games. But, again, maybe because you're working on one platform too. I think there's a lot involved. Mm. The Starfield one's an interesting one because I don't think it's so much <clears throat> bugs and game-breaking stuff more it is just they're just using a, the same engine that they've been using for such a long period of time and all of the stuff that was issues 10 years ago are still there in the game. But when I say issues, I've, I've used this word a lot, it's the jank. It's the jank that they're not cleaning up. And I think that's just a lot to do with, yeah, they're just using the same system, same engine, and they haven't, I don't know, spent the time to basically overhaul that same thing. So the frustrations are not sort of game-breaking. They just they take away the immersion. It's, it's all the crap that I've previously listed from that you got in a Bethesda game 10 years ago still in this game, like... You're literally having conversations with NPCs that aren't looking at you and their eyes are like rolling around in the back of their head and there's just all the weird shit that they just haven't 
you know, to take that game to the next level is all the stuff that, you know, you sort of expect that they would have removed by now, but they haven't. It's like it, the things that I wouldn't have liked and didn't like about Skyrim are the same things that I didn't enjoy in this game. And it's just the the Bethesda-ness. And, you know, if you really enjoy the games like I do, you sort of look past it. But if you weren't into them before, then, yeah, there's, you know, the typical gamer who's getting trying to get into their games, look at that and be like, what the fuck is this? Like, this is 2023 and there's just weird stuff like this happening. But <clears throat> to, to answer your very first question, JB, I think, yeah, it's that's sort of where we're at. It's no longer this, with the exception of Nintendo, games are coming out in all sorts of varying forms and it's more common that they come out, you know, 80% there as opposed to 100%. Hmm. Um, you know, and it's just it's just the new norm. Like we look at City Skylines 2. I think it's good. I don't think, and again, I'm not playing it, but for everything that I've read, it's not releasing in such a state that it's just absolutely cooked. It just hasn't been optimised yet. Um, and so I think hmm. a lot of developers and publishers are looking at it being like, well, if these are things that, you know, we can iron out in the next couple of months why would we want to delay the game from from launching so they're just chucking it out there at 80 percent done and you know slowly over time bringing it up to speed where they want it to be so um yeah it's it's kind of disappointing that the new norm isn't that games are released when they're 100 percent done and you know people aren't taking that extra time and there's obviously pressures to release games from all sorts of different places so mm. um you know, you got to take into those those sorts of things. But, yeah, to everyone's point around Nintendo, well, how come well, they're not doing it? So it's just interesting that a lot of other developers and publishers are. Um, but anyway. Um, C-Mac. Yes. I, I want to put a question to you uh, regarding yes. all of this. So City Skyline, um, we can imagine that, Paradox Interactive have built quite a bit of hype around it, a bit of marketing. You know, people are aware of the game. They know that it's coming out. <clears throat> Is it better for a company to hype everyone up and then release a game that's, like, partially broken and, you know, it's going to be a, a bit of an underwhelming experience? Or do you think let let time fade a little bit of that hype to give them time to polish the game out and then release it, like do do you think oh. which which oh. which way would you go if you were if you were running oh. their studio? A hundred percent the second one because simulation games, as you know, it's they're not fun if they're not working, and mm. it's <laughs> I, I don't I yeah there is no way I would I would feel relaxed playing a simulation game and. Sh- jankiness just kept happening it would it would just bring me out of the immersion completely and it it's frustrating and annoying and no i would definitely wait longer definitely i don't i wouldn't i would just would never buy it and would that would that apply specifically to simulation games or or any game in general that you could think of that had you know a huge amount of hype around it i i don't know like (sighs) I think in particular simulation games for me because it's such a sort of a, I don't know what the word is, not dragging process a simulation game, but you put a lot of time and energy into them and I just think if there's like a game break, something happens or if it's or constantly glitching or if, 
you know, it's frustrating, whereas, I don't know, in other games you can kind of move on from it and sort of do something else, but whereas a simulation game you sort of need to continue on what you're... I don't know I don't know what I'm saying, but I, yeah, I no, feel like I, in particular... I you sort it. of know what I mean. Like in particular, simulation games, I think, for me, but, yeah, I guess I, I don't really play that many games that have problems from the beginning, do we, really? No, what? we play games, Lots I guess, of- that are either big AAA sort of release yeah. games or Nintendo games. Um, but if we do but, play an indie game that, if, you know, for example, if we played an indie game that had those issues, I don't know, we a bit... I'm just trying to think of for some of the indie games that, like, what was that? It's not even indie games. It's when you go and play, like, a Ubisoft game. Yeah, we I, don't... I mean, I know that I slag on Ubisoft a lot, but it's because of this very problem. But this is the thing, like, this is what I'm saying. With with a Ubisoft game, we played... um. Assassin's Creed Unity, I want to say. Was it Unity? Uh, no, Valhalla, I think. No, 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 no. It was Origins. Unity. Or, yeah, whatever. One of the crap ones. Um, We played it, but we got a lot of fun enjoyment out of it purely from it being, you know, we had flying fish going through. Mm-hmm. It's me. That's not enjoyment. That's like it's. But what, but what I'm saying is with that, at least, we could sort of just move on from it. It was yeah. sort of like, you know, you weren't very immersed into the game, whereas, yeah, the simulation game, not that Simon plays them at all, but. But I'd argue it doesn't matter what game you play. No. Why I, should it matter? It like, shouldn't matter, no. That takes me out of the immersion as well. I'm not walking around fucking Egypt with fish flying in the air. I, just think, the there are, I just think there are plenty <laughs> of games out there to play, and I'm happy to wait. So, yeah, I'm, not, I'm not desperate to play anything, really. I'm happy, you know, happy to wait. It's it's interesting. Think- All right, so you take you take Assassin's Creed as, a, as an example and compare it, like, so it's an open-world game... Compare it to something like um, Cheer, for example. That's uh, what I was li- thinking li- of. Little indie title, just, yeah. PlayStation, um, still an open world game, but you'd have to argue probably a little bit less ambitious than something like an Assassin's Creed, where there's a lot more mm. sort of detail and everything put into the into the game world. Um, now, I haven't experienced any bugs or any sort of game breaking stuff uh, going on in Cheer when I played it. But does that make it a better experience than something like an Assassin's Creed, which is aiming for a higher level of immersion, but perhaps at the expense of, you know, bugs and, and glitches that, that might, you know, take you out of the experience a little bit? Well, yes, a hundred times, yes. Sorry, I keep chiming in on this because I'm so passionate about it. Because, <laughs> I mean, Cheer was developed by a small team that didn't have this gigantic you know, fist up your ass budget like Ubisoft always has and still could put out something that even though, I mean, comparatively, if you were to look at each team and just base it purely off of gameplay experience, the gameplay experience in Cheer was far better than the gameplay experience in what I experienced in the first 10 minutes of Assassin's Creed Valhalla. You know, um, that that start of that game, cutscenes always are good in Ubisoft games. The only thing they do all right, apart from maybe Assassin's Creed Origins, some of the romance stuff was a bit weird. But I think that if you have that much money, this is my problem with the Pokemon company as well, they are bathed in money and they sell these games constantly, 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 big numbers, always year after year doing better than the last game did. And... I just don't understand how 
you can do that and be satisfied with the job that you've done and the game that you've put out, take all this money from people and not want to provide them with a better experience. Um, because at the end of the day, people are investing in your experience because there's something about it that they love. It's no different if you're Bethesda or Ubisoft or uh, a small indie company. If you're going to put something out there, have the pride and the integrity to have it at least finished unless it's under the guise of early access. I feel like that there should almost be somewhat of a rule amongst the industry that um, if something is being released with performance issues, it should always be under the guise of early access. And if they're going to release it in that state, that maybe games should come at a discounted price or some kind of cheaper format. Because I, to me, I just don't think that it's fair to release games and just say to people, well, just hope that we make it better. Because some people don't. You know, I think the one kind of game that has maybe had the biggest climb back up the mountain would be Cyberpunk. And um, that's, I mean, that's lucky. Not every single game dev does that. I mean, we, we don't talk about Battlefield 2047 anymore, but I'm sure that that game's still not performing greatly. Oh, that's having a um, revival. That's having a bit of a research. Really? It. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> But again, Fuck, after man. how many years that they took him to get it right, it's sort of it's a bit of buzz around that at the moment. I think it's just going into a new season. I actually updated it recently, and I was going to jump back in. But anyway, mm. well, food for thought. If uh, if any of you listening uh, have an opinion on this and want to share it, uh, drop us a line on uh, Facebook or Twitter, and uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. All right, now we'll, uh, we'll throw it over to you, Steely and C-Mac, for some first impressions on a couple of games that you might have picked up in very recent uh, times. What do you recent got? times indeed. Only times ago, was it? I think we've only played, what, two hours <laughs> of this game, maybe three. Well, give it the- to us. What, what game is it? <laughs> All right. L- super wonderful! Super Mario Wonder. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, it's still called Wonder. You're yeah. right. Yeah. Anyway, um, got on Friday. Yeah, got it on Friday. <laughs> yeah, got a pre-order bonus of three pins that we're never gonna do anything with. So I also good. got Su- Sonic Superstars on Wednesday. Mm. So I have these. Are you would argue at one point were uh, I'd argue that's in the nineties when Sonic came out, Sonic would have been a better platformer. And now I've gone and picked up both of these games three days within each other. And don't get me wrong, I'm a Sonic fanboy, so I'm enjoying Sonic Superstars um, to a degree. It was a $89 game. Super Mario Bros. Wonder was, what was it? Was it a 59 69 69 Oh, hello. Uh, $69, $20 less Dinner than for two. Sonic Superstars. It's breakfast in bed. In the first two hours of us playing Super Mario Bros. Wonder, I am having infinitely an infinite better time with it. Um, for so many way- reasons. Uh, the first cab off the rank is its art style is a hundred times more appealing um you know uh azuka came out one time uh not recently not too long ago pardon me 
saying that um, the reason why they didn't go for a pixel art art style in Sonic Superstars is because he thought that pixel art wouldn't be uh, appealing in 10 years' time. And so he decided to to make it like this 2.5D art style. And um, I'd argue that pixel art can almost be, um, you know, I think timeless. I think everybody likes pixel art. There's something about it. If you do it right and you get the colours right and you, you know, can nail it, it looks beautiful. Sonic Mania looked amazing and was a great game. Had a much better soundtrack as well. Mm. But, um, wow, that was harsh. (laughs) Um, but look, Sonic Superstars for what it is, is just okay. It's a good game. I'm having fun with it. It's, there's no issues with it. It's, there's no kind of Sonic jank in it, which I really like. It is, um, it's, it's a serviceable 2D platformer and it definitely does pick up where the other ones left off, which is great. I think there's a lot that it does well. Um, a lot that is a bit seagree for me, which is, just not much thought put into its multiplayer mode, not much thought put into, um, you know, some collectibles that could have been scattered throughout the game world, which I think would have just really brought it up to spec. Um, and then when you go and you play Mario Bros. Wonder straight afterwards, there's just this immense sense of joy. I think in the first sort of 20 minutes we were playing, Casey paused the game and looked at me and goes, this is the best game I've ever played. <laughs> Uh, obviously, I think she was just having a bit of a honeymoon period because there are much better games that exist. No. But one of the best Mario games I think um, I've ever played. Uh, and simply because there is so much in it that just keeps you engaged, it keeps you guessing what's going to happen next. It's always surprising you. And it does it it's all. Cute. Yeah, it's so super cute. And it's, um, yeah, yeah, like there's little bits where suddenly out of nowhere the, the piranha plants just start singing a tune and yeah. it's to the beat of the music and it's just out of nowhere. It's it's the cutest and the funniest. Yahoo! Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, Joel furiously Googling sound bites. Oh, my God. <laughs> But um, Mario Bros. Wonder is just absolutely steeped in... Th- there's just been a lot of joy that's obviously been put into this game, a lot of heart and originality being put into it as well. The the way that the characters animate, the s- little details that just have completely separated it from the men from the boys, you know, the, the men being Super Mario Bros. 3 and Super Mario Bros. World or Super Mario World, pardon me, and the boys being the new Super Mario series. Um it's definitely a part of the men's group. It's it's just an incredible game um, so far. There are so many little secrets to find on the world map, and, um, yeah, it's full of charm. And then you look at a game like Sonic Superstars, and the charm really begins with its animated cutscenes, which are, are fun. They're really kind of well-animated and um, on-brand, but... It's about where it stops. There's not really much else that you go, oh, wow, this is just, like, full of personality and and pizzazz. It all feels like it's got this sort of cheapness to it, whereas you don't feel that same thing with Mario Bros. Wonder. And it's, it's unfortunate that I think that Sonic Team decided to let this one go when they did, not because it's broken, not because of anything else other than it's going to be compared to Mario. And 
And like I said, back in the 90s, I would have easily said that Sonic was winning because I just, I love Sonic 1 and 2 and 3. Um, they are, in my mind, snappier, better platformers, whereas um, this this just is no comparison. Mario Bros. Wonder just kicks it out of the park. Mm-hmm. So, um, nah, very, very happy with that, Mario Bros. Wonder. The only thing that is just so hard to hear is mm. Mario's voice. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot to get used mm-hmm. to after hearing for 20 years or so, um, you know, Super Mario sounding one way um, with the voice of Charles Martinet and now having to get used to um, Kevin Afghani as him is just really um, jarring mm. because there are parts where, you know, you think he's going to say one thing because that's just what Mario says and he doesn't. And you go, that's not Mario. <laughs> and then, you know, and you it's hear an like, um, oh, it's just so bizarre, you know, and you hear um, even it's on the- so subtle though, like only because we know the voice so well. Yeah. You know, kids wouldn't have a clue that it's a different... <laughs> they have no idea. Yeah. But I think just because we've been hearing it for our whole lives pretty much. Yeah. Mm. You know, just the way that he says it's a me is just different as well. You know, Charles would be like, it's a me. Whereas he's like, it's a me. Like, I don't know. There's just a different inflection that he puts on it that just... Sounds like he's got drugs. Yeah, a little bit. But, mm. you know, it's... um. It's just not the same, and that that's the most jarring part of it. And if that's the worst part that it could have in the cold game, it's one incredible, amazing game. And I'm not even saying that Kevin Afghani's voice is bad for Mario. It's just different, and it's going to take a while to get used to, I think. Well, we've um, got, we've but- got um, a little <coughs> clip of, of the new Mario voice here, so maybe we'll, we'll play that for our listeners to have <laughs> yeah. a listen to and, and you know, see what they think sure, of the new Mario. Sure. Oh, you see this guy? See this guy? <laughs> Number one bullshit guy. He do the wee woo wee woo. I mean, it's an interesting direction that they've gone. Uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, I can imagine the appeal to our uh, South Asian, uh, you know, uh, listening base. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I thought you were going to do the soundbite of the guy with the da 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 da. Here we go. And breaks uh, all the berries. No, but yeah, nice. Um, no, nah, amazing. I think that um, anybody that is looking at these games and wants to kind of, I mean, they're both serviceable games. But um, if you've got a Nintendo Switch, it's a no-brainer to get Mario Bros. Wonder. It's twenty dollars less, and it is arguably a, um, a, you know, about four points cut above what Sonic Superstars is. Mm. But um, I think it's around thirty uh, percent higher rating on Metacritic, or a little bit. So I don't know, not in percentage wise, but thirty points higher. So ready, ready for the stats fest, Steely? I've got it here, ready to go. So Sonic, give me a master stats fest. <laughs> Sonic Superstar sitting on seventy five <laughs> on Metacritic, and there you go. Super wow. Mario Bros. Wonder is at ninety three. Critical acclaim. Jeez. So oh, what's that? Do the math. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big difference, 18 it's, points. Uh, so, yeah, pretty, it's interesting. Uh, pretty standard fare for uh, Sonic the Hedgehog, but uh, impressive for Super Mario, really. Yeah. And what I'm uh, really... I'm itching for our Game of the Year discussions at the end of the year, Steely and C-Mac, mm. because of the four games you listed off earlier in the podcast, you've played all four, and so I'm really interested to see 
what is going to be crowned at the end of the year. So we've obviously got Super Mario's Bro Wonder, which is sitting, like I said, 93 on Metacritic. We've got Zelda, which I know that you both really enjoyed. Metroid Prime, I remember you guys picked that one up and Steely gave that one mm-hmm. high praise. And then what's the one that I'm missing? Pikmin. Pikmin, Pikmin 4. Yeah. So it's been a good year for some of the Nintendo releases. Four great games. I think they all scored over 90 in the Metacritic score. So I'm yeah. interested to see which one takes home the uh, G-O-Y trophy from C-Mac and Steely this year. Mm. Yeah, well, you know... Um it's a hard one, you know, because they they all do something different. They're all different genres. Different games, you yeah. got a first-person shooter in there. You've got, a, like, a, a cozy strategy game, which is just I've never thought I'd say those two things in the same sentence. You've got a 2D platformer and um, the most innovative 3D uh, adventure game, open-world adventure game that's ever been created. Like, that's just crazy. Mm-hmm. But and then on the other foot, you've got Baldur's Gate 3 out there in the mix as well that is just, um, I think, something that you can't, you know, you can't sort of sniff at. It's going gonna, it's gonna to really come to bite all those games back in the butt um, because mm-hmm. it, it does have a lot of different stuff going for it. Um, but, yeah, who knows? Yeah, we'll see if you get around. I was more thinking about the games you've played this year, Steely. Oh, you might get around. Well, fucking shit the bed. Well, there's still time to play Baldur's Gate, so. There is. Mm, never yeah. know, Mike. No, Flip your world upside down. Happen. I jumped back in the other day. Still enjoying it? Yeah, I, I am, but I'm, I'll tell you what, I, I'm i finding it really challenging, um, particularly on the combat side, and I think. I think I've gone to do a, a pretty high-level mission with some pretty shit characters. So, uh, yeah, it's um, I'm getting really uh, done over. But one one thing that, that I find interesting, like I tried doing a particular mission uh, by, by just going in there and just like basically making it a big combat fest mm. and just kept getting smashed. So then I've gone back to an earlier save... And re-attempted it, but I'm now doing it by trying to talk my way through it. Mm. And, uh, you know, I, I rescued someone that I needed to rescue, and now I've got to get him out of the this this dungeon that he's in. And uh, he said he, he can only leave if I kill all the leaders in the dungeon. And the first one, I've, I've gone up to this woman, and it all looked like I was going to have to fight her right there and, and take on all her minions as well. And then I've managed to convince her to have a word with me in private. Mm. We've ducked into a side room. And then, uh, of course, me and my uh, three companions have uh, summarily slaughtered her to, uh, uh, you know, to nice. death. So, it's, uh, yeah, it's it's interesting. But, yeah, it's there's just a lot of variance in how you can tackle these situations. But, yeah, the combat is really bloody hard. Mm-hmm. Getting a bit tricky. Mm. Mm. Definitely. Uh, but that's great. Well, you haven't played the uh, new Sonic yet, though, have you, Steely? I have. Yeah. Oh. I just told you. <laughs> Mario's better than it. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that you didn't really give us any much, like, much more info oh, about what it. What do you want to know about it? It's fucking... It's a vanilla 2.5D platformer. Um, no, nah, no, nah, but... Um, no, look, Sonic, okay. Sonic Superstars, like I said, it's perfectly okay. And I think that that's, that kind of sums up the review scores, right? It's a perfectly okay game. 
Um, art style doesn't blow you away. There are some slightly better animations in this game than there have been, you know, some of the previous um, entries, like if you go and play Sonic Forces, which just makes me want to vomit saying that name of that game. But the I think the, the play style is very similar to Sonic Mania, which is great, but it just lacks a lot of the, I guess, the charisma of Sonic Mania and a lot of the love and care of Sonic Mania too. Um, Sonic Mania was a game that was developed by fans of Sonic um, in Headcanon and Christian White and who had perfected uh, that sort of formula and, and cared so much about it that it's a, it's a fan game that is official, which is just, just doesn't happen, you know, and I think that um, something must not be good at Sega because for some reason um, a lot of these companies don't stick around for very long to develop the second game. I think, you know, Christian Whitehead was approached to make a second Sonic Mania, but they didn't because I think maybe, um, maybe working at Sega isn't the best thing in the world. And so they've kind of gone and done this and tried to like, hey, look at how good our sort of, this is way better because look at how great the graphics are. And it's like, I'd much rather it have just been a pixel art game because I think that just had a lot more personality in it. Um, I think two and a half D platformers, unless it's something like Donkey Kong, which just lives and breathes, uh, just don't seem to have the same heart attached to them as ones that follow a very particular art style like Mario Wonder or, you know, um, Yoshi's Woolly World or Crafted World. Um, I feel like the style isn't there and it's just, um, it's disappointing because it's, it plays fairly well and there are some really enjoyable moments in the game and the boss battles are are quite fun. I really like the bosses in this game. Um, But, it's just the moment-to-moment gameplay is like, yeah, I'm playing it because it's Sonic. Mm-hmm. And I'm not playing it going, I'm playing this because I really, I really love this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm more thinking about playing Mario Wonder next, you know, and that's I think that's just testament to Mario Wonder and it's just goes to show really um, what's happened with Sega, Sonic Team, and, and the Sonic games of late mm-hmm. as well. So, One- yeah, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, one thing, um, they showed it in, I think it was like the first trailer or something, where they showed Sonic in the old 90s art style and then he steps over mm. like the halfway point of the screen and then it morphs into the current um, graphics or whatever they've spat out in the new one. Yeah. One yeah. thing that, it it's such a miss. They should release these games in both art styles for a bit of a nostalgia hit. I think there's some games sure. that have, some games that have done it, and probably the one that I've played most recently that reminds me of the Halo Anniversary Collection, where they remastered the whole thing, and you can play in the updated graphics, or you can just go back and play the potato graphics of the Xbox how it was released back in the day, and it's such a cool yeah, thing good. to just be able to like switch like literally instantly on the fly by just clicking a button, and I just think there's a yeah, it's something that they probably could have missed. I saw it in the trailer and I would be like, oh, I thought, holy crap, imagine if they actually do the whole game in both art styles and you can go back and forth. That'd be so cool. But it sounds like they obviously 100%. didn't. And it's probably a miss there. That's something they could probably look into that, in the future. I, I never even thought of them doing something like that, Fergie. That is such a missed opportunity. That sounds mm. amazing. I, mm. I think that that would just bridge the gap between people who maybe don't have nostalgia for Sonic and wanted to play the game in 
you know, the two and a half D format. Um, or for the people that want to play it and have it feel like a classic Sonic game. But the, the, I think a, as well, a, a big issue for this game as well is that the camera makes everything feel very tight in unless you are flipped to the back of the, you know, the screen there because the mechanics of the game where it throws you from the foreground to the background is very cool. And I mean, it's been done before, whatever, but that's the time when you get to actually see the world from an outside perspective and it feels a little bit more open, um, much like Sonic games did in the past. I always feel like that when they kick to this art style, Sonic feels abnormally small compared to the enemies, whereas he used to feel sort of in proportion to the enemies in the days of the Sega Mega Drive or Genesis. And so... I don't know. There's just a, a, a lot that doesn't mix well with it. But I think 100% a missed opportunity if they were to go with, uh, you know, being able to cross between the two would just um, would be so neat. And I'd be in a heartbeat playing it as a pixel art game. Um, so much more uh, just, yeah, character in it for some reason when you would think it wouldn't have. But, mm. you know, yeah. And even just, doing the, um, like, the soundtrack. Imagine that, yeah. switching between, like, the updated and then going back to the 8-bit, buddy. Yeah, because, I mean, the unfortunate thing is, as well, the soundtrack is kind of... Tr- they're trying to make it sound like the the 16-bit or the 32-bit soundtrack that it would have been, or I think it would have been just 16-bit 16 16-bit 16 mm. games, but I don't know what the soundtrack would have been. Um, but they try and make it sound similar, and there's only so much that T. Lopes can ho- help with that. I mean, he is just so great at it. He did it in Sonic Mania and it was perfect. Whereas in this, it kind of feels like they're going for like a half. This is just a much more updated, clearer sound, whereas T. Lopes just went full, hard, mega drive sound with Sonic Mania and it worked so well and the and the tunes were so catchy and some of the tunes in this are, are a little catchy, but mainly they're, just, they're a little bit forgettable. And um, and some of the sound design as well is really frustrating. You know, some sounds that are just glaringly annoying. Um, like you're in a ship one level and shooting the laser. I, I had to really think about whether or not I wanted to shoot the laser and finish the level because it just, it was just, oh, this, the worst noise ever. It just sounded like... I don't know. I can't even tell you what it sounds like. Laser, <laughs> but very loud and not very much fun. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I'm talking a lot, so I'm going to just you, shut up. You are. <laughs> well, Sonic Superstars, we give you the Alec Trevelyan Award. For England, James! Whoa. Nice. Okay, well, uh, it's now time for this week's novelty segment. I know what boys like, I know what guys want, I know what boys like, boys like, boys like me. And this, <laughs> this week we are talking about our favourite game of the noughties. And, you know, it's a... It's, it's amazing, actually, because some of the games that came out at the very beginning of the 2000s uh, almost sort of seem like in our in our collective memory mm. like they were still part of the 90s. Similarly, like stuff that came out at the very tail end of the 2000s seems like it was much newer than than perhaps it actually was. So it's a it's an interesting period in 
time to look at uh, game-wise. And so, without further ado, um, Steely, would you like to kick this one off? Fucking hell, I've been talking a lot. Oh, do you want me to go? <laughs> yeah, you go, because okay. I've been talking so much. <laughs> just just in case I need a nick off, right. maybe. Um, shut up for a minute, Eric. <laughs> have a drink of water. Um, so... The one I went with when I Googled games that came out in 2000 is, well, uh, no one's surprised, Paper Mario, because I don't talk about Paper Mario. Now, I did say, though, Paper Mario, this one did come out in Japan in 2000 and came out everywhere else in 2001, but I'm still going to go with it, if that's allowed. Are you going to go with the the Japanese version of the game? No, because I haven't played the Japanese version of the game. Cool. But yeah, that's my. That was my. Obviously, that's. There's so many games that came out that mm. year. Uh, there's Zelda Majora's Mask. I don't know if you're going to say that, Simon. Or I not. thought you would have gone Spire Year of the Dragon. Spire, yeah. that come out as well. That fuck yeah, yeah. far out. Good We're game. Give the, Good game. We're going to give you the whole decade to it with C Mac. Not just two thousand. Simon told me it was just the one <laughs> year. <laughs> Oh, no, this is uh, anything from the year 2000 up to the year That's 2010. I fucking thought that. I thought that. And I was like, no, it's just that one year. And I was like, far out. Okay. All right, Probably well, a, bit, a little bit one- niche if we were just doing the year yeah, 2000. Single, single hey, in that one year, you had Zelda's Majora- Zelda Majora's Mask, Spyro, Year of the Dragon, Paper Mario. What more could you want? I don't need a whole decade. That's there you go. Year. One year. Well, my three mates, Simon's freaking out. Yeah, I have to look it up now. <laughs> Bucks. Oh, are you doing 2000 as well, Steely? Yeah, well, he told that's me. That's what I thought it was. <laughs> 2000, 2010 games released. Oh, my that's God, he's fun. Googling it now. But anyway, I'm just going to go with Paper Mario for obvious reasons I have listed many times in this show, but just such a nostalgic bit, remembering getting that cartridge from the 64 from Blockbuster, mm. and I had a friend who uh, also liked to play it, and she would wo- she worked at Blockbuster, so nice. she would always rent it out before I even got a chance. It was very annoying. We're still friends, though. Mm. Um, but, yeah, so I'm just going to go with Pope Mario. Not much well, more to say classic. about that. Well, but, you want to yeah. tip a bucket on that friend, uh, C-Mac? <laughs> you know, tell him how you really feel about him. <laughs> She, she even apologised to me sort of semi-recently in the past couple of years. So, it's, I'm like, mate, it's, it's been a while. I'm over it, well, clearly. Whoever this friend is, <laughs> you're obviously a real shit person and uh, <laughs> and you suck. So Emotional damage. Just on that, C-Mac, now that we've, yeah. we've just flipped the switch on not a singular year, your love for Paper Mario, long-time listeners of the podcast would know that. If you knew that you had the whole decade to work with, is, pa- is Paper Mario still going to be up the top? Is it well, still I, at the top have, of the list? I would, honestly, I'd have to sit here and Google what came out in those years. I don't. <laughs> I'm trying to. What? <laughs> I don't know. I have Twenty tens. What else we this. got? <clears throat> what else we got? Releases. There is a lot in in the in these I mean, ten years. Last of Us. A lot of time. Did Last I mean, of Us come out and no. Nah, Last of Us was Uncharted Two did. Oh wow. Batman Arkham Asylum did. Assassin's uh, Creed uh, Two uh, did. Oh Assassin's. Mm. No, I, you know what? I'll stick with Paper Mario just because it's su- held, it always holds such a special place and it's something I continue to play. But like I said, Spyro, Year of the Dragon, that's my favourite Spyro game. 
Zelda mm. Majora's Mask is such an amazing game, but that's mm. just in the year 2000. So yeah. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. What a f- you, you should have just done one year. <laughs> oh, well, two next, is too overwhelming now. Who oh. <laughs> can pick their favourite game over a ten-year period? Fuck me. <laughs> All right, Ferg, oh. Ferg, Ferg, Fergus, Fergam on Hamilton, what have right. you got for us? Well, I think the caveat to this, I think this might be a um, a novelty segment we might bring back because, yes, it's very hard to pick a singular game off of a whole decade. So I didn't really think about it too hard. I just thought the first thing that came to my mind and an iconic and something that really left an impression on me as far as games. And it's interesting that mine wasn't that far off from coming out in the year two, 2000. This game launched on the original Xbox came out at the end of 2001 in November, and it's none other than Halo Combat Evolved. What an absolute classic game, and what an absolute game changer as far as, yeah, first-person shooters going forward. So, off... Let's just enjoy this for a second. Can you see my notes from over there, JB? Uh, Not particularly well, no. I mean, note number one here I've got is title screen music. I don't think I've gone into a room in the last... What year did this come out? 2001? The last 25 years that didn't have some kind of really good echoing acoustics and not sung the Halo opening uh, theme music. Uh, Sort of Gregorian chant. Yeah, that's it. How good. Straight off the back, the title music is just epic. And following on from that, I mean, the soundtrack of this game is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Shout out to Martin O'Donnell and Michael Salvatore, who were the original composers on that game. From front to back, the music and the soundtrack of, I mean, not only the first game, but across the whole franchise has just always been something they've done so well. Um, Like I said, Bungie developed this game, and as far as first-person shooters, we hadn't seen anything quite as good as this at this point. Um, The gameplay is... Absolutely top-notch. And even now, like paying the anniversary editions, it's still unbelievable. It was so fun, crisp, responsive. Um, and for a game, it just had such a fantastic arsenal of weapons, which really um, made, depending on what gun you had, you would play the game differently. So you had, you know, the classic pistol, the assault rifle. You had the big hitters like the rocket launcher and the sniper rifle. But then you had the really cool covenant weapons like the needler, which was shot the homing needles and, you know, the energy sword, which was sort of this one-hit kill, close-range weapon. It was fantastic. Fantastic campaign, um, really fun, and so much fun playing in split-screen with friends. Like, this was an absolutely unbelievable experience to play with others. Um, I think one thing that really stuck out for me was these big open areas that the game sort of went into was... You know, up until then, a lot of games you played were very first-person shooters anyway, were very sort of linear and in tunnels, whereas Halo had these iconic areas that would just sort of open up and, you know, 
what made that so much fun was is my next segue is one word warthog the vehicle combat in this game was so good and there was nothing better than getting in the warthog you mate in the back in the gun and you just cruising around these big open areas just trying to shoot anything that moves and i think more than anything this this game why i want to chuck it out there is it it just left such an impression on me. Like I can remember the first time that I played this game and I can remember who I was with and where I was. And it's probably one of very few games and probably I don't think there's been any others that for this game alone, I had to get an Xbox. Like I was playing this at my mate's place and I'm like, I got to get an Xbox. This is, Mm. this is one of those games. And even to this date, I've never at any point thought I need to get a PlayStation just to play a game like God of War or Last of Us. This was one of those things where it was like, Mum, we got to get an Xbox. We got to get this thing going. This game was that good. Um, and yeah, still to this day, like going back and playing the Anniversary Edition, they're still fantastic games, great series of games. And yeah, Halo Combat Evolved. Big shout out. Wow. What an absolute classic. There you go. So for you, Halo. All right, Steely, what do you got? I'm here, I'm Steely, and this is my bit. Um, uh, <laughs> enter Steely. Um, so, after just looking up uh, 10 years worth of games in five seconds, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm still salty at that. Um, I decided that I'm, look, there's too many in there for me to pick one and go, that's my favourite. But one that I think has made quite a big impact would have to be the sequel to Super Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers Melee on the GameCube. Mm-hmm. Um, why you ask? Why Steely? Why that game? Um, I think that Super Smash Brothers Melee, when it came out, I mean, I never ended up actually owning this game. I I rented it. I Played it, and I think for three days straight, I think I'd, I had maybe just a little bit of MDMA, and it kept me going for a little while. Um, <laughs> I, I, that's a joke. That's an MDMA joke, everyone. I didn't. I didn't actually, as a the balls are a 10, 10, 12 year old kid, have MDMA in the house. Um, <laughs> we lived in Millicent, not you know Parry Hills West. Um, but anyway, uh, that's a Parry Hills joke for everyone. Oh my God! Stop saying that. <laughs> But the reason why I picked this game is because I think that Super Smash Brothers Melee set a gold standard for Super Smash Brothers games as far as gameplay. Um, it, it brought in a much much um, needed adventure mode where it was like a two D side scroller beat 'em up, which I thought was just absolutely insane. And then brought uh, you know the year after, well, not the year after, the game after that in Smash Brothers Brawl on the Wii where the Subspace Emissary was there, which was a lot more of a story-driven campaign. They were t- them, Those two games were two of the best Smash Brothers games because of the fact that they just... They milked the cheese of the fact that all of these different Nintendo <laughs> IPs and IPs in general had come together. Who's laughing at me now? Milk the cheese. Yeah. Haven't you milked the cheese before? What, food? I don't know what comes up in your mind. Like they you think mil- you want to they, say that they milked, like because they're milking the cheese of the 
the you know the not milked the cheese. It's like Do we need to give Steely a, a lesson on how they make cheese? Cheese. We've taken this. We get milk what from the cow. Settle down. To make the cheese. The cheese of the you know the fact that all of these characters the are either serious or cartoony are all together and they're all a part of the same story. It was just it was the MCU before it was the MCU, um, which I you know it was, but it was the N NCU. Nintendo something. And then, but anyway, um, I loved Super Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, again, I played it just so hard for, I think, a weekend, maybe a week at max. I think I re- rented it for a week. And um, I just loved the fact that this was a time where I didn't know what characters would be bonus characters or who would be playable at the end result. You know, you'd get to the very end of the game where you would start to unlock a uh, new challenger is approaching, and you go, "Oh my god, who's it going to be?" Uh, uh, like you kind of tell who they are from their silhouette, but I don't know. And then you'd see them on the screen, you'd be like, "Oh my god, who the fuck is Ness?" You know, because I didn't know who the fuck that was uh, because I never played Earthbound when I was a kid. But having said that, I was so excited about all these different characters that were in the game, and I absolutely loved it. And I just think that. Even with Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, that still doesn't have that same magic that Super Smash Bros. Melee did have in it. Um, we knew all these characters that were going to be released as DLC characters. They weren't unlockable. It wasn't as surprising. And there's no first, you know, single-player campaign attached to it that is anywhere near as fun or as engaging as Subspace Emissary was for Brawl or as the Adventure Mode was for Super Smash Brothers Melee. Uh, not, not milking cheese. It's milking okay. cheesy characters <laughs> being together in one. I get it now. Because you've got sure, like sure, Stamus, sure. who's yeah. super serious, and then you've got Wario, who's farting yeah, all okay. the time. All right, yeah. Get Fuck. it. I get it. <laughs> that makes more sense. Me and Joel were just looking at each other and just milk the cheese, and me and Joel were looking at the ceiling going, what What are we doing? Mm. Milky. I also just fucking shoot myself in the dick. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, yeah. Again, really hard. There's there's some banger games that came out during that time period, but um, <clears throat> and for me, it was probably a toss up between two. It was a toss up between Half Life Two, which mm. again, still an amazing game to this day. It actually has dated really, really well, and um, still an amazing game. But I wanted to give props to a very early Bethesda title um, because I still think that this this particular game set the stage for so many games that came after it. And I am, of course, talking about The Elder Scrolls for Oblivion. Now, I remember seeing Oblivion for the first time at a friend's place and I think he had it on PC. And... Uh, it was it was incredible, like um, <clears throat> just the the sheer scope of the open world in Oblivion was just massive, and I, mm. I can't really think of anything that had that same level of of grandness that came before Oblivion. Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it was very much a game that broke new ground in that regard, and. One thing in particular that I really liked about 
Oblivion, and maybe this might have been something that annoyed a lot of other people, but I liked that your different abilities that you had within the game, you could level up each individual ability by simply using that ability a lot. So Mm -hmm. if you're running around the place a lot, you're going to build up stamina. If you're constantly firing your bow and arrow, you skill up at archery. If you're, you know, I remember just like like running from place to place and just jumping continuously so that you could level up the, the jumping skill or the athletic skill or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but stuff like that. So, and I like that idea that you can, you know, if you want to get better at lockpicking, you lockpick a lot more stuff and then you mm. get better at lockpicking like it's it sort of I guess reinforces what we already know uh, to be true in real life that mm. you practice a particular skill to get better at that skill it sort of seems a little bit weird that um, in a lot of games nowadays the leveling system I level up and then I can just pick which skill I want to be better at mm. you know even if I've never used that skill before in game Um so I really liked uh, that idea. I always found it really sort of difficult and really frustrating when you've got all the Oblivion Gates appearing everywhere and you've got all these like creatures and, and stuff pouring out of them and you have to go in through the Oblivion Gate and like make your way through what was usually a really like difficult uh, sort of uh, area to clear out and... Um, Shut it. And shut the Oblivion Gate. Now, <laughs> tell me, I can't remember off the top of my head, but how did you actually shut the gate? There was something, there was like a crystal, something you had to remove or... Yeah, something like that. You had to like trawl through, <clears throat> it was basically hell, and mm. then you'd find yourself going up a tower and I can't remember what was at the top, but was it, yeah, it was something that you would take... Was it a crystal or something? Yeah, I can't something remember like exactly, but it was, yeah, you basically, they're all very similar. You'd have to fight your way through and go up a tower and clear enemies and get to the top and then it would do whatever it was, clear, yeah. Mm. But I vaguely remember, you, is it moving a crystal from something? I don't know. Anyway, yeah, that was roughly what you had to do. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, amazing game um, and just so huge in scope. Like, yeah just really did, I guess, reset people's expectations for what those sorts of games could could be and obviously set the stage for what came to be known as Skyrim. Mm. Yeah, fantastic games. Um, Fun fact, the first game I ever owned in my... I bought it on the same day. When I bought my Xbox 360, I picked up Call of Duty 2 and in the discount bin at Harvey Norman, I picked up Oblivion for like 20 bucks. So I don't know what the timeline was of me getting my first 360. It must have been out long enough that it was, yeah, in the discount bin and I picked it up. I was like, oh, I'll get a second game of Call of Duty and I got it for 20 bucks. And yeah, I'm with you 100% JB. One of my favorite games, especially in that time period, unbelievable. And um, I second what you say around rewarding what is so great about a lot of Bethesda games and the Elder Scrolls series is, you know, Everyone who has a different play style, you can play however you want. You know, you could be stealthy or you could use a bow or you could be full-on melee or you could do whatever. And you're rewarded, like you're saying, by playing in the way that you want to play the game 
you can increase your skills and basically get better at it. So, yeah, what an amazing game. Very interesting world. Um, great quests, great stories. Um, again, another fantastic start. I think I mentioned this the other week. A great start to a video game, like a lot of the Bethesda games. Um, breaking out of jail and causing a ruckus and, yeah, just endless amount of fun. Um, and then they had the expansion packs and they're long... Oh, I can't remember what they were called, but... Uh, I think there was Knights of the Nine uh, yeah. was one of them and uh, I can't remember the second can't one, but, but I remember they, they ended up releasing like a Game of the Year edition that yeah. had both expansions bundled in. Yeah. Yeah, so I remember I went and played them all, and I reckon from memory this would be up there as one of the games that I played the most hours on. I was pushing 200 hours in this game. Like, I spent a lot of time playing this game in the uh, in the back room around a TV screen, which is not much bigger than a laptop these days, and just, yeah, smashing out hours in this fantastic world. Absolutely amazing game. Fantastic. Well, Oblivion, uh, you get the old number, please. Round of applause. Well done. And uh, if you want to share with us your favourite games of the 2000s, again, drop us a line on Facebook or uh, Twitter slash X and uh, let us know. What what were your favourite games of the 2000s? We'd love to hear from you. And that brings us to the end of the Discerning Gamer podcast for another week. And I'd like to start by thanking the DG crew and say thank you, Fergus Fergamon Hamilton. Thanks, JB. Always a pleasure, mate. And Simon Steely McLaughlin, thank you. Oh, thank you for being here. I love that. Uh, and also, <laughs> um, thank you for milking the cheese. Well... <laughs> Thank you, uh, Steely. Appreciate that. And last but not least, thank you, Casey C. Mac, Pistol Pete, the Pissed, McLaughlin. The Pissed. The Pissed. The Pissed. Thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next week. See ya. Bye. But I think what you need to understand is, is that I wasn't actually saying just for people <laughs> at home to milk the cheese. I was saying like they were doing a great job at really milking the cheese, the cheese of the whole <laughs> thing. You know, like the cheesiness, the, the, the cheesiness of the whole thing. Not you know, and I was just cutting a corner. I'm not. That's what I just want you all to know that. That's, that's all. <laughs> I'm not a weird guy that thinks that milking cheese is a thing. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>